periodically, Jennifer and I will be flipping channels and we'll settle on HGTV, one of these home renovation shows that are so popular. And I get pretty easily hooked into them because, you know, from beginning to end, you really do want to find out how in the world are they going to transform this humble, kind of ugly, outdated house into something entirely new and, and modern and, and beautiful. Uh, they're going to tear out the cabinets, of course. There's demo day, ripping up floorboards, putting in lots of shiplap. I don't know what shiplap is, but you need a lot of shiplap if you're going to renovate a house, apparently. But you know what I love about the shows is they make everything look so easy, even fun. you got this husband and wife couple. They're cracking jokes. You know, they're working together to make a dream home. whole thing takes an hour. That's with commercials. It only takes an hour. And so, you know, I'm always looking over at Jennifer, and I'm thinking, we could do that. But in reality, certainly if you've ever tried it, in reality, there's an enormous amount of time and cost and pain and sweat and tears and arguments. There's all sorts of stuff that goes into the reality that we don't see in the finished product. We only see what the camera wants us to see, right? What the editors choose for us to see. The truth is, we understand, transformation doesn't just happen. It certainly doesn't happen easily and painlessly. And the same could be said when it comes to following Jesus. When we're talking about discipleship. Now, if you were with us last week, we, we looked at Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus extends to us this incredible, very gracious invitation. So if you remember this, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I will give you rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we hear that invitation and we think, man, that's what I'm talking about. That, we just, Jesus wants you to just come, in, come on in and chill. Right? Come on in and rest. How wonderful, how easy, almost easy he makes it sound. But if we read through the Gospels, if you've ever read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we come to this very quick realization that following Jesus, certainly it involves redemption, but also renovation. Jesus invites you to come just as you are, but He does not leave you just as you are. We are called into a new and transformed life. And so if we think about ourselves like a house, Jesus is not content to come in and simply slap on a new coat of paint to do a few touch-ups as needed, no, Jesus enters in and He rips out the floorboards. He tears out the old asbestos. Jesus does an entirely new work. He changes us from the inside out. And that's what I want us to see today. Something that is necessary, but often painful, sometimes confusing. Things that we would never choose if it were up to us. And so Jesus comes in and does it for us. There's a lot of scriptures that illustrate this, y'all. We could pick almost from any page of the Gospels. But I chose Luke chapter 6 today, because here in Luke 6, Jesus is going to give us a picture of what it looks like to follow him, and at least for me, it challenges me at the very deepest level, at the very core of me. And so I'm going to warn us up front here in Luke 6, what Jesus says is going to make us, at the least, it's going to make us uncomfortable, if not cause us just significant pain to read it, because Jesus is coming in right here, and he's ripping out some of our most foundational ways of life 
our beliefs and our behaviors. But underneath it all, we'll see this, there is amazing transforming grace. It's right here, clear as day for us as well. And so let's look together. This is Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. In the latter part of this chapter, we'll start in verse 27. I'm going to read the whole paragraph here to begin with as the Lord speaks to us. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him up the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, when Jesus says, love your enemies, most people don't have a problem with that as long as we kind of keep it in the abstract. Okay, sure, we'll say, I love everybody. I love everybody. But then Jesus gets more specific and more direct when he says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It should be obvious to us that Jesus is not talking about hypothetical enemies. He's talking about real people who cause us real harm people who actively oppose us and are against us. Now, see, in the time of Jesus in the early church, these were very practical and useful commands. If we read through the book of Acts, we see it very clearly for his disciples. Whoever hits you on the cheek, the early Christians were often beaten and flogged for their allegiance to Christ. Whoever takes away your coat, Jesus says, Oftentimes in the New Testament church, they had their property plundered as a means of persecution because of their faith. And of course, it still happens in the present day all around the world, even if most of us, in this room at least, we don't encounter these same kinds of threats. We recognize that it exists, but maybe it doesn't touch us at a very present and personal level. And so some of us even might go as far as to say, well, See, I, I read this and I recognize that I have, I have enemies in a general sense. I know they're out there. But I couldn't name someone like that I consider an actual enemy, somebody who's actively against me. I couldn't give you a name. And, and fair enough. See, that's, that's why we would tend to make things more hypothetical if it's not present and, 
and, and personally instructive to us to hear what Jesus says. And so we just think in general terms, right? But I just, I, I just want to caution us here, and I caution myself, that we don't distance ourselves from what Jesus is saying, even if it's not our present reality. Jesus is not just calling us to, um, you know, just in case it should happen. He's calling us to a posture as a way of life, a certain disposition. This is who we are at, base, at our most fundamental and basic identity. So Jesus has already informed us this is not hypothetical. This is, these are real people he's talking about. But also, if it's, if, it's, you know, if, if it's not something that we encounter day to day, we might think that Jesus is just kind of telling us to be neutral. You notice that all these commands are given to us, not neutrally, not in a sense of Jesus saying, just ignore your enemies. Just leave them alone. Just you know, pay them no mind. Jesus is not telling us that. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. These are active verbs. These are forward-moving. What Jesus is saying here is not simply, if somebody's mean to you, have a neutral attitude. That'd, I mean, that'd be better than the alternative, be better than returning evil. Just ignore them. Just turn, turn away. No, he says, actively come in their direction and do them good. Actively move forward toward them in prayer. And you can't fake that, right? If you're praying for somebody, it's because it's coming from a sincerity of the heart. See, what Jesus is saying here that so often I tend to do is I treat it either as a hypothetical or as simply a neutral, some sort of middle ground. I don't have to love them. I just don't need to hate them. But Jesus doesn't leave us that option. He tells us to move toward even those who would hate us and cause us harm and to actively seek their good. And this is, y'all, if you know any church history at all, how a little fledgling church of just a little over 100 people right at first ended up overtaking the entire Roman Empire. It happened because of this ethic right here. Living in such a way that there was no other explanation for it. These people don't just love their own kind. They even love us, those who are trying to put them in the ground. It didn't make any sense, and it still doesn't. But it's not neutral, it's not hypothetical, it's forward-facing. Love them. Then Jesus speaks not just of those who are against us, but those who are in need. You see it in verse 30. He says, give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Here Jesus is saying, it's not just doing good to those who are against us, but having an open heart and open hands when it comes to those less fortunate, when it comes to generosity, especially in circumstances where a person cannot pay you back in any sense. Even if they take from you with an ungrateful spirit, you don't get a thank you or nothing. Even in that case, Jesus is saying, our generosity should not be determined by my opinion of that person's worthiness or what I might get out of the equation no, we give generously with no concern for these things. And we see it again. Generosity here. This is not a, you know, every now and then, at the, you know, at Christmas time, we get a little generous. What Jesus is saying is, as a posture of the heart at all times, an active, driving uh, uh, force of the heart, I'm, I'm looking for opportunities to give. 
I'm considering my possessions as less valuable than the people in front of me, even those who would treat me spitefully and ungratefully. Especially for those I feel like do not deserve it. That's the point. And all of that culminates in verse 31, the verse we all know so well. It's the golden rule. You see what he says? Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Now, I tend to think that because we post the golden rule in elementary classrooms, we tend to think of it as an elementary command, easy to follow, child stuff. But if we think that the golden rule is elementary, it's only because we've redefined it for ourselves. We've redefined it to make Jesus say, just be nice. And, and I can do that, right? I can treat people with niceness. But we've, we've got to take it entirely out of its context in that case if we want to redefine it and dilute it to that degree. Think about the context here again. Jesus says, treat others the way you want them to treat you. That command right there is anchored in the command to love even our worst enemies, to do good even to those who do us harm. And y'all, in that case, there's nothing at all elementary about this. If you think that the golden rule is easy, or at least it ought to be, try it for like a day. I'm not joking. Try from the heart now, not just externally, but try from the heart to treat everybody in the world the way you like being treated. From the inner intentions, not just the outward expression. You can't do it. Neither can I. And the more we try, the more despairing we would become. And so y'all, when we, if we just stopped right here at the end of verse 31, in all that Jesus is calling us to be and to do here, we recognize, I hope, that what He's, what he's asking of us really isn't even human. It's not just difficult. It ought to bring us to our knees and we say, this is impossible. I like the ethic. I'm glad Jesus did it. But I couldn't do it. And that would be true. Y'all, if you've ever seen the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt, 10 years old maybe, 12 years old, uh, he plays Billy Bean. It's a true story. He's the manager, the general manager of a, of a pro baseball team. And he's got to build an entire team with very little money. And so he's trying to find ways to kind of cheat the system to figure out how to get the most value out of each individual player. And there's a scene where he takes one of his coaches with him to go and meet with a catcher whose career is now washed up. He's had elbow surgery. He can't play catcher anymore, but he can still hit. He can still get on base. And so Billy wants to talk him into switching from catcher to first base. They're going to use him at first base. The coach thinks this is a terrible idea, but they come nonetheless and of course, the guy sits on the couch and he says, I've never played first base before. And Billy says, we'll teach you. It's not that hard. Tell him. And he points to the coach and the coach says, it's incredibly hard. <laughs> and of course it is. It's incredibly hard. But it wasn't impossible. And if you've seen the movie, the skills can be taught. It all worked out. They figured it out. Difficult, but not impossible. And y'all, you know, there are people, most people who think Jesus was a great teacher, they respect him, they admire him. It's because I think we haven't really dug down to the, to the roots of what Jesus actually said. In this case, if we look at the ethics of Jesus in Luke 6, and we say, well, this is incredibly hard, but I can do that. I can love people like that. With enough seriousness and discipline and commitment, I can live this way. 
Now, if, if we come to that conclusion, that it's hard, but it's not impossible, then I think we haven't really understood him. I don't think we've dug deep enough. The point, part of the point at least, in Jesus' ethic here is not to empower us to be better people, at least not initially, but to point us to our own sense of deficit and despair. We're meant to come down to, to, the, to ground level here and see just how incompetent I really am when it comes to these things. This is Jesus ripping the floorboards out, y'all. And so he doubles down in verse 32. This is the verse that always gets me right here, ever since the first day I ever read it. Verse 32, Jesus asks a few questions of us. And just let these sting the way they're meant to sting. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Now, when Jesus uses that word sinners, He's referring very generally to people who don't know God. We're all sinners, we recognize that, but he's not speaking in, in that, broad, that broad of a category. It's not the whole world he has in mind here. He's talking about people who don't know God and don't really care to know God. They live on their own by their own rules and standards. God's not part of the picture. And the point really isn't even about them anyway. The point is about us. Look at what Jesus says. If you love those who love you, if you do good to those who do good to you, if you lend to those who will pay you back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do all those things. In other words, Jesus says this is how everybody acts by nature. Everybody. Anybody can love if they're loved in return. Anybody can be good if they know that they're going to receive good in return. That's, that's basic human nature here. It's not special. It's not distinctive. Y'all... A person can be downright nasty and still function in the most basic of human terms. Even bad people can act nice if there's something in it for them. Right? We know that to be true. There have been times perhaps where you've been that person, and so have I. But this is Jesus tearing out the cabinets, the floorboards. This is Jesus turning the house over when he asks us these questions. Because here, here's the truth. If I say to myself as a Christian... I love, I do good, I give. Jesus doesn't stop there. He digs deeper. He gets underneath the floor. Down to the very foundation. He cuts us to the heart. This is Jesus saying, Kyle, everybody loves. How is your love different? Where do you set the boundaries on who you love and how much? Who are you good to and where do you draw that line? Perhaps you give, but Kyle, what's your motivation? What are you expecting in return? This is, I think, the point that Jesus is making if I'm brave enough to really face it. If our love and goodness and generosity just meet the bare standard, then in what sense has our faith 
changed us. If I function more or less just like everybody else, then in what sense has my faith in Christ transformed me? Or to use Jesus' words, what credit is that to you? Now that question, which he asks three different times, that's actually the hinge on which this whole scripture turns. When Jesus says, if your love and goodness and generosity are no different than that of the sinners, what credit is that to you? Now, y'all, that word credit, as Luke records it in Greek, is actually the word grace. The very same word, when you see grace in your Bible, it's the Greek word charis. It's the same word here that we translate as credit. Now, there are good reasons why our English Bibles might translate alternate words, in this case credit, or your, your Bible might say benefit. But getting down to the very bones of what Jesus is saying, this is the word grace. And it, I hope it colors and helps fill in a little bit what we're talking about here, what Jesus is saying. If you love those who love you, where is the grace in that? If you only do good to those who do good back in return, where is the grace in that? Grace means unmerited favor, undeserved, unwarranted blessing. Grace is not tit for tat. Grace is not I scratch your back if you scratch mine. Grace is something altogether different. And so that brings us full circle here in this scripture about what it means to love our enemies. Not just loving those who love us back. Doing good to those who hate us. Not just doing good to those who return the good in kind. No, this is something that is entirely different here. And so, y'all, it would be a mistake if we read this Scripture today and came to the conclusion, Jesus is just telling me to be more loving. That'd be a mistake. Certainly, it's good to be more loving. But what we would do potentially is we would be more loving to the same category of people we already loved anyway. We would do good to the same people we do good to anyway, who do good back in kind, right? And in that case, we would miss entirely what Jesus is saying. We're not talking about moving from catcher to first base. Skills that can be improved upon if we're willing to just put in the effort. It'll be tough, but you can do it. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about an entirely new category of love and goodness and generosity. And if we see it and take it to heart, it ought to make our knees buckle. It ought to bring us down to a place of despair. I cannot do this. And if left to myself, I certainly will not. This doesn't feel humanly possible to love like this, to think like this, to give like this. And y'all, I want to come back to that being part of the whole point. Anytime Jesus gives us ethics in the Scripture, we never put a checkbox next to them and simply say one for one, one for two, struggle with that one, two for three, as if it's something we could do that easily. No, we're meant to be brought down to our utter inability so that we might be rebuilt, remade, as it were, by the love and goodness of Jesus. And so this is, I hope, an encouragement to us. Now, we've gotten down to the bottom, y'all. It gets better from here, okay? 
when Jesus speaks of the hinge reality here, that it's grace that He's talking about. Undeserved love and goodness and generosity. He's bringing us into divine territory. This is not human level ethics here. This is of God. And that becomes very clear, I think, once we get down to verse 35. Look at verse 35 now with me. Jesus concludes, He says, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So now we're really getting to the point here. Jesus is not just calling us to be better people, more ethical, or even more loving, merely. Jesus is calling us to be like the Father, to be like God, to have a heart that reflects the heart of God. And so we see, I hope, why the command here is not simply for more love, but it's a different kind of love. A kind of love powerful enough to embrace and even bless our worst enemies. A generosity that never expects anything in return. It just gives and gives joyfully and sincerely, even if we receive no gratitude or reciprocation at all. It's a different kind of heart that reflects the very heart of God. That's what we're being called into. Now, y'all, can I give you like a 30-second peek into Kyle's conscience here. Scary in here, all right? So just be, be ready. Here's what I do when I come to Scriptures like this. I see what Jesus is saying, and I like it. I'm for it. Sounds great. But then I start to think, you know what? If I really love my enemies, they'll trample all over me, won't they? And God wouldn't want that. And if I'm really that promiscuous with my money, with my generosity, people are going to take advantage of me. And God wouldn't want that. And I start to talk myself out of what Jesus has clearly commanded me to do and to be out of a sense of self-preservation. I know what might happen to me if I actually lived this way. And so I rationalize my way out of it and I never even try. Now, if that resonates with you at all, then again, we have to actually read what Jesus is saying here. He pushes us beyond all of the boundaries that we establish for ourselves, and He assures us that we have, in the end, we have nothing to lose here at all. Look again at verse 35 and the promise that Jesus makes. He says, Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. I said earlier that that word credit, that word grace, was the hinge of this Scripture. This verse, 35, is the key that opens the whole door. Jesus says, your reward will be great. What is He talking about here? An eternal reward direct from the hand of Almighty God. Meaning, that no matter what your enemy should ever do to you, no matter how ungratefully a person might take from you, there's nothing you can possibly lose in this life that you will not gain infinitely more in the life to come. You're never going to lose anything by loving this way, Jesus says. And He's the proof. 
Jesus who loved his enemies. Jesus who died at the hands of his enemies. Gained infinitely more than any enemy of his could ever take away. He gained eternal life for the world, for the church, for his people. Heavenly glory and joy for us all who have faith in him. There is only eternal gain in Jesus' vision here. And that's the way we ought to live. Not a scarcity mindset. If I live this way, think about all I would lose. Jesus says, your reward will be great. But it's even more than that. This is my favorite part of this whole Scripture. He says, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Now let's be very careful not to interpret the word be as become. Look at that verse again. Jesus says, you will be sons of the Most High. He doesn't say become. Because in that case, Jesus would be saying, if you'll just do what I'm telling you to do, then God will accept you as His child. You'll become His child. No. This is not renewal of behavior that gets us to God. The idea is much deeper and more wonderful than that. What Jesus is saying here is, you will be revealed as God's children. Our new love, our goodness, our generosity is evidence of His grace toward us, that we really belong to Him, that we know Him. It shows forth now in this new way of life because He Himself, God Himself, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And this is what the whole Scripture now has been pointing to here. Y'all, I hope you know that Jesus never commands us to obey abstract ethics. Jesus never says we ought to do these things simply because it's the right thing to do. No, in everything that Jesus calls us to, He's calling us to be like Him, to exhibit the, the Father's heart, the Father who loves His enemies and is good to those who are evil and gives to those who are ungrateful. That's what God does. That's who God is. It's a reflection of His heart. And y'all, I hope you know, this is the thing, this is the truth about God that makes us His children in the first place. Remember, we don't become God's children through renewal of behavior. We become God's children by His gracious initiative, by His mercy and love. Y'all, when Jesus says that God is kind to ungrateful and evil men, who is he talking about right there? Who are the evil, ungrateful people that Jesus has in mind? I want us, as we close, to look at Romans chapter 5 for just a moment. If you're especially fast, you can turn there, but we'll put it on the screen. Romans chapter 5, the words of the Apostle Paul. Just sit back for a moment and let this truth just be, be like, a, a, like sunlight on a cloudy day like today. This is going to just bask in this together. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Listen to what God has done. Jesus, uh, Paul says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God 
through Him. For if while we were enemies, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. How do we begin to truly love our enemies? Only when we take to heart the great love that God had for us while we were His enemies. Without regard for our worthiness, without consideration of how you and I might pay Him back, what He might get out of the deal, without waiting for us to make the first move, Paul says that God gave His Son for us as a demonstration of His love, as a demonstration of His kindness. I said earlier, y'all, this kind of love and goodness and generosity is inhuman. And that's right. We see it here. It didn't come from us. This is not something that you and I could drum up from within. Even if we tried our very best, we must receive it by receiving Him. We must be changed by His transforming grace. Now, I mentioned this, and we, we remind ourselves again. This kind of transformation does not happen overnight. And it does not come easily. No matter what you think, no matter who you are, no matter how great your intentions or aspirations are, what Jesus is calling us here to is total renovation. And it's difficult. It's straining. It's painful. And oftentimes it's slow. But this is who we become as disciples of Jesus. Filled with His Holy Spirit, more and more we begin to exhibit His heart and His grace. Not as an abstract ethic, but as a new defining identity. A posture of the heart. And the reason for that is, the reason we become this way, not by our own nature or effort, but by His transforming power, it's because we are a people of the cross. This is why we have a little cross here behind us, at the center of the room, at the center of our worship, our praise and our prayer and our preaching. Y'all, when we consider the cross of Christ, when we consider His suffering, which Romans 5 talks about here, that Jesus shed His blood, that He died. Every time we consider the cross of Christ, we are taking to heart the demonstration of God's kindness toward those who are ungrateful and evil. The demonstration of God's love and His grace for evil and ungrateful me. at my very worst, at your least deserving, He loved us and gave Himself for us. This is the Gospel, the good news of His grace, which alone has the power to transform our hearts. Jesus alone has the power to give us a love for even our worst enemies. Because He is the singular man who ever walked the earth, who expended Himself 
for a world of those who were evil and ungrateful in response. The same enemies who put him on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. That's the kind of heart Jesus desires to root in us a transforming grace because we know what it is to be an enemy who was loved into a son. That's the grace we need. Let's ask the Lord that he would grant it to us. Father, this morning, um, I I certainly can speak for my own heart. I pray for us all. I I suspect that we all struggle in, in this area being called, Lord, to a kind of love and goodness and generosity that is entirely unnatural to us. And Lord, I pray if we're honest enough to say it might be even insulting to us that we would be told to love people like that, people who really have hurt us. And Lord, in this case, Father, I pray that, that You are... Um, very sensitive uh, as a father, Lord, to your, your fledgling children here. Lord, we struggle. This is never something we would do of our own initiative and certainly not of our own power. We need your grace. And Father, we need, we need profound um, encouragement here, Lord, that if anybody is like me and my tendency to try to talk myself out of this, It's not very practical. It's not very safe that, Father, that You might push us beyond, Lord, all the little walls and boundaries that we've set up. And, Lord, just show us Jesus who never gave a thought to the practicality of His suffering or the worthiness of His enemies. He went to the cross, Lord, with resolve to save us and make us your dear children. He loved us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. Father, would you renovate our hearts this morning? Tear out, Lord, everything in us, Lord, that, that betrays just the, the, the base level of love and goodness. Help it, Lord, we don't, we're not, we're not, we don't want to be like anybody else, Father. We want, to be, we want to reflect that we are your children. We, Father, want to, want to show forth that we really have come to know you, that we really have received your grace, and it really does change us. And so, Lord, make us more and more a people devoted to the cross. Lord, as we see the grace poured out for us in the Son, Jesus Christ, to turn enemies into children. To take those who are lost, Lord, and to bring us near. Those who were dead, to make us alive. Father, You have done it. Lord, let us be so much 
so much defined by the cross of Christ that it really does become how we live too. Sacrificial. Um, considering others more important than ourselves. Loving, Lord, even those who are against us as a demonstration of grace. Father, even if we would just take one step forward in this today, we would count that a gift. We trust, Lord, that it would please you. We will not magically get there. Lord, you will, you will bear this good fruit in us, Father, as you sanctify us. But Lord, let us not stand still. Let us not rationalize our way out. Let us look to Jesus Christ. And by his grace, let us become more like you, our Father. For you are kind even to the ungrateful and the evil. Lord, thank you for this. Because this is why we are saved. You've been kind to us. Lord, make us like you. More and more, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his grace. Amen.